Hello darlings, thank you for joining me for another episode of Tea is for Tangent, the side series to my main podcast, A is for Alien. I hope that, uh, you know, you've got yourself a nice little cup of tea, that you're relaxed, that you're ready to hear a little bit of a story, because this one, uh, yeah, I don't know, I guess it's a love story, Mm, I'm going to let you be the judge of that. It's fucking weird. That's one thing. I like. I feel like that's a underlying kind of theme. Is that like it has to be at least a little bit weird. So if I'm gonna come on here and tell you a love story, you you just you know that it's, it's gonna be a little bit weird, isn't it? So I don't know. If you're brand spanking new here, please remember to subscribe or follow me. If you're listening on a podcast service or if you like to listen to me on YouTube, uh, it really helps. If you also just um, leave a little comment for me or press the thumbs up button, you know, that that helps me a lot too. So, um, yeah, without any further ado, we should just crack on into the story. Um, Yeah. All right. Let's do it. All righty. So this week for the main channel, I have been deep learning about the Florida Everglades and it's a wild place. It's a super fucking wild place. Heaps of weird things happen there, paranormal and otherwise. Like it doesn't even need to be paranormal. (laughs) Um, So I just find it an all round interesting place from even just the, the basic ecology of it, all the way through to the people, all the way through to the mythology, all the way through to it being the cornerstone of the Bermuda Triangle. So for this week's story, I thought how appropriate to do a story that heralds from the Everglades themselves. So I guess we all need a little bit of love in our lives and love comes in many forms, I guess. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things that you just don't know when it's going to hit you straight in the face. So I'm a big believer in fate and I'm a believer in love at first sight. And I believe that that can happen to people. And, you know, I think it's a really beautiful thing when you hear a love story from somebody and you know, it, it starts with, I always knew that I was looking for you. I just couldn't find you. Like, you know, you find these couples that will tell these stories about how they, they knew the person that they were looking for right down to what they even look like, which some people might just call straight fucking bullshit on. But I believe in it. I believe in that kind of stuff. And yeah, I I probably know from personal experience that it happens. And so I love it when I hear stories like that. I love it when I hear people come to me and say that they had this inexplicable thing happen. And do you know what? If you're listening to this, I have a listener email address um, that you can send your stories to. So if you have a crazy love story where you just knew the person that you were going to be with and then just one day they just appeared in front of you and it was everything you ever hoped for, like I want to know those stories too. So send them through to me at asforalienpodcast at gmail.com. See, but this is the thing because like in general it's cute, but the story that I'm about to tell you, I don't, I don't know if it's cute. I don't think so. <laughs> But I'll let you be the judge. All right, so I want to tell you a tale about a man called George Carl Tanzler. He eventually became just better known as Carl Tanzler. Um, He was born in Dresden, Germany in 1877, and he's an Aquarius. So already (laughs) Aquarian men. I mean, (laughs) we could probably just like sum it all up to that 
at this point right here. Growing up as a child, he would have visions of dead ancestors, specifically a lady called Countess Anna Constantia van Kossel. And he said that she would reveal the face of his true love to him, who was this beautiful, dark-haired, exotic woman. And over many, many visions, he had been shown that this would end up being the love of his life. He seemed to be quite an eccentric person, especially for that time period, because so he was born in Germany, but he traveled to India and then traveled to Australia with the intention of eventually proceeding to the South Sea Islands. So I think that's kind of Melanesian islands off of Fiji, um, that kind of area off the coast of Australia. So he spent time in Australia and he wanted to collect equipment. So he was looking at boats and he was getting used to the kind of sea conditions in the Southern Hemisphere. However, when he was here, he became really interested in engineering and electrical work. And so he bought kind of other things as well. And he also ended up like attempting to build what they called a trans-ocean flyer. So I think he was actually trying to build a plane of sorts before World War I broke out. And then because obviously he was of German descent, he was put into an internment camp and that kind of put an end to that dream but you know I think that that's pretty crazy for that time period to travel halfway across the world through India to come to Australia and be like yeah I want to build a seaplane and I want to go live on a South Sea island like I don't know I don't know how many people were doing that kind of stuff back then so at the end of the war they weren't allowed to go back to their former residences and were instead shipped to a prisoner exchange in Holland he had then decided that he wanted to go back to Germany to find his mum because he didn't know if she was all right since before the war. Finding her safe, he remained with her for three years. Um, obviously, things are a little bit kind of strange in Germany at that time. And finally, she suggested that maybe what he should do is go to the United States and see if he can find his sister. So he moves to America, finds his sister in around 1920, he marries a lovely lady called Doris Schaefer. They have two children called uh, Aisha Tanzler and Clarista Tanzler, which are both really fucking cool names. So he settled in a town called Zephyrillis, Florida, and that's where his sister was already living. But in 1926, he decided to take a job as a radio technician at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West and left his family behind in Zephyrillus in 1927. So, so far, it sounds pretty normal. Like, I mean, I guess he's a little bit of an eccentric because he's had a lot of kind of life experience under his belt by this point. Like, how old is he in 1927? He's 50 years old. Like, that's a pretty respectable, like, job for an older man. Obviously intelligent. Like, it's a new technology, radiography. But on April 22nd, 1930, things started to get mm, a little bit creepy, a little bit weird, because that was the day that he met Maria Elena Malagro de Hoyos. She was the 21-year-old daughter of a local cigar maker called Francisco Hoyos, and by all accounts, she was just known as the local beauty of Key West. But to Carl Tanzler, he recognized her as the exotic dark hair beauty that had been shown to him throughout his life in his dreams. So obviously this presents problems because he's a 50-year-old man who works as a radiographer at the hospital and she's a 21-year-old very unwell patient because eventually she becomes diagnosed with tuberculosis and 
especially for this time, it was basically a, a fatal diagnosis and it eventually ended up claiming the lives of almost all of her immediate family. So the story basically goes that he just approached the family with his self-professed medical knowledge and was like, I can try and fix her. Do you want me to try and fix her? And obviously no one wants to see their child unwell and dying. So the family was like, yeah, sure. Plus he kind of had that credibility. He worked at a hospital. So like ergo, that must mean that you've got at least some kind of medical knowledge, right? He attempted to help her and cure her with a variety of different medicines as well as bringing like x-ray equipment to their actual house which was like a big no-no. Like you're not only meant to take x-ray equipment from the hospital and take it to somebody's house. Yeah, apparently too, he'd bring her lots of gifts of like jewelry and expensive clothes and he would tell her that he loved her. And, you know, she was like, what the fuck? Like there was never any account of it being, you know, returned. Like she was not in love with him. So on October 25th, 1931, just a little over a year and a half of her being unwell and Carl Tanzler being in her life, she succumbed and lost her battle with tuberculosis. Tanzler paid for the funeral and with the permission of her family, he commissioned the construction of an expensive above ground mausoleum in the Key West Cemetery. And unknown to her family, he had only one key made to the mausoleum and he kept the key to the mausoleum. So obviously when you have a key to the mausoleum, you do, you know, <laughs> the, the obvious thing and you go there every night after dark. And so yeah, apparently he would go there every evening and he would sit by her grave and serenade her corpse. Yeah. And he would hear her say back to him, I want you to take me home, Carl. I don't want to be in this mausoleum anymore. So word kind of got around that he was doing this weird stuff every night. And I think his boss at the hospital was like, hi, uh, like, so Carl, like, is it true that you are going to visit the, the grave of that dead girl every single night? And you're like singing to her because it's kind of creeping people out. And yeah, we're going to have to ask you to stop that. And he was like, oh, okay, then well, I'll quit. And they were like, what? He's like, yeah, I just won't work here anymore. Right, I'll quit if it bothers you that much. And so he quit. And then also strangely, even though he'd quit his job, he also stopped going past the mausoleum every night. And so everyone was like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's a bit odd. So they thought it was odd that he was going to the mausoleum every night. And then all of a sudden when he stopped going to the mausoleum, they thought that was fucking odd. So 10 years go by and everyone's just kind of like living their life, you know. And um, then Elena's sister, Florinda, starts hearing like strange rumors and I guess the thing is, is that he's a creepy dude and it was kind of a bit weird anyway. So you know what kids are like. They were probably making up boogeyman stories about this kind of creepy eccentric dude. And so I think for a while people were like, oh, you know, it's just rumors. But there was one particular rumor that really bothered her sister, Elena's sister. And it was an eight-year-old boy had said that he had been walking past and seen uh, Carl dancing with like what looked like a corpse. And so this rumor had kind of gone around. And so what Florinda had decided to do was she's like, this is really bothering me and I'm just going to go there and confront him and I'm going to go there and see for myself that that's not the case. And then I can just rest easily because I don't want people talking about this like my dead sister. So she goes to his house knocks on his door he invites her in and like just in plain fucking view is 
this thing sitting there that she thought was a doll. And she was like, okay, all right, I'm going to go fucking tell the police now. So she goes to the police and says, look, he's got this really fucking weird like doll thing in his house and I don't know, maybe you should just check it out. So the police go there and it's not a, it's not a doll. It's not a doll. So that's seven years ago when people were like, stop going to the mausoleum, he's creepy. He's like, oh yeah, you know what? It is actually creepy that I go to the mausoleum. I won't do it anymore. And he just took her body back to his house. And what he did was he attached all of her bones together with piano wire and fitted the face with glass eyes. And as the skin decomposed, he would replace it with silk and plaster and wax. And he basically made a wig out of her own hair. And yeah, he basically taxidermied her. He'd dress her in stockings and jewelries and gloves. And he kept the body in his bed. So yeah, you think, wouldn't it start to smell? And it did, but he would just douse it in perfume and also use disinfectants and preserving agents to stop the the effects of the smell. (laughs) So he got arrested and he was charged with wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. He was found mentally competent to stand trial. This is probably something that wouldn't happen now, but during like this whole fiasco, Her body was put on public display at a funeral home and about 6,000 people came to see her as this corpse bride doll wax plaster figure, which that's pretty fucking macabre and morbid. I feel like you should have more respect for the family. I don't know if that would absolutely not happen now. (laughs) Uh, Essentially, what happened was her body was then released back to her family and it was buried in an unmarked grave this time. So strangely, in the court of public opinion, the majority of the public, especially women, kind of supported him. They just saw him as this like eccentric romantic that just couldn't bear to be separated from the love of his life, even in death. Remember how I said that during his time in Australia, he spent time learning engineering and was trying to build one of these trans-ocean flyers. So he was essentially trying to build an aeroplane. While he was on the stand for his trial, he turned around and said that his plan for the body, the reason why he had it and he was trying to preserve it as best as he could, was because he had planned to use an airship to take her body into the stratosphere so that the radiation from space could penetrate her tissues and restore life to her. Hmm. And there's pictures of this airship that he was building. Like he was building a plane. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty fucking romantic. You know, you got to admit that at least. If you're not prepared to build me a spaceship and reanimate my dead body with radiation from the stratosphere, then I don't want it. So the case was thrown out eventually because the statute's limitations on his crimes had expired. So he was basically like free to go. Um, and like, how's this? He fucking asked for her body back. <laughs> Could you imagine her fucking sister? She must have been like, no. I can't even believe that you would ask me if I if you could have my fucking sister's body back. Like, what? So in lieu of her actual body, he used a mold of her head and created a life-size model of her. And he lived with that until his death at the age of 1975 in 1952. 
A lot of people say that the effigy that he had was actually the body again, that he had somehow paid somebody to retrieve the real body of this poor girl. You know, I said from the beginning that I'll leave it up to you whether this is a story of love, but it's worth noting as well that he never divorced his wife. Like he was still married with a child living in Zephyrillus. So he moved back to Pasco County in 1944. And yeah, so he could live near his wife who apparently was there to help him and support him in his later years. Why? what? What the fuck? Like apparently he wrote an autobiography called Fantastic Adventures that was published in 1947. But really the real fucking tea is I want to know what Doris Schaffer was thinking this whole fucking time. Because how do you stay married to a man that's like literally obsessed with a dead body? I don't know. I feel I feel like that's up there with... It's a good grounds for divorce. I feel like even in this time, they would have granted you a divorce for this. Okay, so that's going to be it from me today. I want to know, what do you think about this story? Is he an eccentric romantic or just a super creep that probably did deserve to do time in jail? I'm really interested to find out what you guys think. Leave me a comment down below or find me on my social media pages. I am A's for Alien Podcast on most things, including um, Reddit and I have a Facebook page. And if you do feel so inclined, I also have a um, Patreon page if you'd like to support my art. Uh, Thank you very much to my patrons that support my work, especially in times like what we're all going through now with COVID, everything's tight for everybody. So I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, just in case you wanted to know, (laughs) so Carl Tanzler's Florida Man (laughs) news article is, Florida Man joyriding excavator likely caused neighborhood's power outage before the Super Bowl. (laughs) Please join me uh, later on this week for uh, E is for the Everglades. That's going to be my main series episode this week. So thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you love this. Love you. I'll speak to you soon. Drop me a comment. Follow me on all my socials. I love hearing from you guys and I'm going to catch you soon. Bye bye.